Hi, folks, and welcome. This is Audio Blog Post 3. Rather than a Q&A today, I thought I would talk about something that is precious to all of us. It's a topic that I'm passionate about, and that topic is time and how to make good use of it. But before we get started, I want to thank those of you who voted on my Instagram story. If you want to follow me there, I'm at man underscore overseas. I took a poll of whether man overseas subscribers would rather I write an article for the blog or do an audio post like this. And the final tally was 53% article. (laughs) So I honored the majority and wrote an article. And I figured since the vote was close, I could do an audio this week. (laughs) It's certainly easier to talk my way through a blog post than to write one. So I'll share a story with you to start. It's something that happened to me yesterday. And I thought it was apropos to today's topic. So I'm in Costa Rica right now, actually in the Playa Hermosa area. There's world-class surfing here, but there are also some good hikes. And they're, chall- they're a little bit challenging, but very rewarding. So I'm on this hike yesterday, and it's something that I've done quite a few times. And so I've figured out that if I start at the bottom at about 4.50 p.m., that's 10 to 5, you get to the top of this little hill right as the sun is setting. And the view is amazing. And when I get up there, I usually start taking pictures so that I or videos so that I can post them to an Instagram story. And then afterward, I just sit there and enjoy the thoughts that come to me. And as the sun disappears over the horizon, it's just a fascinating display of colors. And the sky just gets this purple and blue and yellow and orange. And it could be the contrast with the sea that makes the colors pop like they do. I don't know what it is. It's it's unlike any sunset I've seen anywhere in the world. There's something about Costa Rican sunsets. I don't know what it is. But I take a little composition notebook with me when I go on these hikes because I don't want to lose a thought that I have, you know, that might add value to readers or something worthy of transferring to my journal later on. But after the sun went down yesterday, everybody who was up there starts turning around to go back down the hill. And I noticed this one guy kind of straggling and he came over to me and he was a fellow gringo and he, uh, he asked where I was from. And so we started talking and I liked the guy a lot. I could tell that we had, we kind of had the same sense of humor. (laughs) He said he was from Michigan Anyway, he asked what I was doing in Costa Rica, and I told him that I'm just here you know, to work on men overseas for men overseas travel services and to read and to write and try to get in a little surfing and hiking too. And I said that I had left my watch at home, and he was impressed and said, man, that's a great idea. I should just release, talking about himself, I should just release myself from any time constraints and not even think about the clock. And I said, yeah, man, that's how to do it. You want time to just be completely irrelevant while you're here. And, uh, you know, they have this saying in Costa Rica called Pura Vida, which is Pura Vida, you know, pure life, live the life. And it just kind of like it's similar to in Jamaica, the I Rayman, I Rayman <laughs> that they have. So anyway, I was telling them, yeah, it's a cool feeling, but I'll say that it's not that much different because if I ever feel the urge to know the time, I'll just kind of slide my hand in my pocket and then reach into my uh, I'll grab my phone and right there on the home screen is the time. <laughs> so, so he liked that. We had a good laugh. But whether you keep track of time on a watch or a phone or you're a big dog and have a time piece, we're going to talk about time because I think it's the most precious thing that we have and besides each other, of course. Um, but we can make good use of time by spending it with each other or at least those we enjoy. <laughs> and I'll, I'll talk about that too. But if you're fed up with people, whether it's friends or coworkers or relatives, you can always quit your job and sell your possessions, move to Costa Rica, (laughs) 
I'm kidding. Uh, it's not a bad idea, but that's not what this talk is about. Uh, by the way, it would take money to move to Costa Rica. So uh, you can't talk about money without talking about time and vice versa. So Zig Ziglar once said that money isn't everything, but in terms of needing it to live, it's reasonably close to oxygen. <laughs> so it's hard to talk about time without talking about money. And I know that quite a few of my readers are on the path to financial independence. So I'll give you some ideas on how to achieve FIRE sooner. FIRE is the acronym for financial independence, retire early. So if the money stuff doesn't interest you, you can fast forward and get to more of the time talk, but there'll be some overlap, I'm sure. Um, I'm talking about time today because when you learn to make the highest and best use of time, you can do more and you can see more and live a bigger life. And I think that's what we're after, you know, as well as impacting more people. And when you start to do that, you're talking about leaving a legacy. So I'll start with a guy uh, that messaged me from Brookfield, Connecticut. His name is Adam. He said that he had recently heard my interview on Bigger Pockets and was starting a house flipping business. And he asked for the opportunity, quote unquote, of an hour or two of my time so that he could ask my advice. And I think that's where, that's what prompted me to talk about time this week was him asking for my time. Uh, he was really nice about it. But unfortunately, I don't have anything to offer in that regard. I, I don't know anything about house flipping. It's not something that I've ever gotten involved with, and it's probably due to my nature. I I usually look, take a long-term perspective on things, and typically house flippers are trying to make a buck pretty quickly. And yeah, so I've always believed that, especially when young, time is on your side and that it's easy to get rich slowly, but very hard to do quickly. And those people who flip houses like I said, they're trying to make money pretty quickly and they work a lot of hours and it's usually pretty stressful. Um, you're relying on other people a lot and it's hard to find good people, of course. Yeah. Anyway, house flipping is not within my circle of competence, but I have friends who do it quite successfully. I, I'm not opposed to it. I just wouldn't be any help there. But with regard to getting rich slowly, since I talk about investing a lot on the blog, I thought I would mention that John Bogle died last week. So he was the founder of Vanguard, which is the brokerage house that I have mentioned on several podcasts. One of the things that was great about Mr. Bogle was his simplified approach to investing. He was the pioneer of low-cost index funds and arguably did more for the average investor than anyone who's ever lived. And he did that by allowing people to dollar-cost average into low-cost passive index funds. Dollar cost averaging is just when you invest a fixed amount of money over time consistently. So for example, on the first day of every month, you buy X amount of shares in a Vanguard fund, regardless of what the price is. Over time, you'll buy that fund at different prices, gobbling up more shares when stocks are down, which if you're young, you want the stock market to be dipping so that you can buy large quantities, while hopefully you won't be needing that money for several decades. You want to let compounding do its thing. And as Charlie Munger would say, you never want to, imp you never want to uh, interrupt the compounding process unnecessarily. But many people in the FIRE crowd, they use low-cost index funds to invest and live on the dividends and interest. In fact, I'll go out on a limb and say that if Mr. Bogle hadn't had the idea for index funds, which he started to implement in 1975, the FIRE movement may not exist. And although index funds didn't catch on for another 20 years, which happens to be when the book Your Money or Your Life came out by Vicki Robin, 
both of those had a huge impact on the FIRE movement, or at least shaping people's views on the relationship between time and money. So her book, it's been at least a decade since I read it, but I remember it having, or it being more of a book on philosophy, or as much, I should say, a book on philosophy as it is personal finance. So she encourages the reader to consider whether each dollar you spend is taking you towards your goals in the short amount of time that we have on this earth. So I like her macro perspective. It helps you to prioritize and focus on what's important. So it's, yeah, it's interesting that index funds and that book came out about the same time, or at least had an impact about the same time. And then of course the internet enabled people to simply invest without hassle, or should I say invest simply? Yeah, those, those factors combined played a huge role in people's willingness to pursue financial independence or FIRE. The most popular fund that I see owned by the FIRE folks is Vanguard Total Stock Market Index. The ticker symbol is VTSAX if you're interested. My wife and I dollar cost average into Vanguard funds every month. And that's one of those deals where I won't say I'm not recommending that strategy like I usually do. Um, I actually do think that you should set yourself up to automatically be investing in index funds every month or every paycheck. Yeah, if you're not doing that already, you should be doing that. Even if it's $100 a month, do it. If you're not saving and investing yet, I highly recommend starting with 10%. Pick up the book, The Richest Man in Babylon. So start with 10% and then increase your percentage 1% per year. But Vanguard expenses are low, or the expense ratios are very low. If I remember right, VTSAX, the expense ratio is 0.04%. 0.04% is $20 on $50,000. So it's very low and it's a convenient way to invest if you want to buy the whole market. So just sort of set it and forget it. People get rich by just saving automatically. But we all owe a debt of gratitude to Mr. Jack Bogle for what he did to revolutionize um, investing for the little guy, you and me. I admit I didn't know much about him before he died, but as I understand it, he was the rare combination of wisdom and foresight and also kindness and selflessness. One of the financial smart guys that I follow on Twitter, Patrick O'Shaughnessy, he said that Mr. Bogle lacked the the status-seeking circuitry in his brain. And I think there's something we can all learn from that. The week that I posted my article about my trip to Zambia, a guy in Africa contacted me and asked how he could turn $2,000 into $10,000 in less than a year. And it was a sincere question. It's not like one of those emails that comes from Nigeria. But I had to tell him, I don't, I don't know. Um, I wish I knew how to get rich quick. But I think, I didn't tell him this, but I think a surefire way to get poor in short order is to repeatedly try to get rich quick. So try to avoid get rich quick schemes. As I've said before, the person getting rich is the guy who organized that deal, not you. There aren't many shortcuts to wealth building. That said, time is precious. And when you're young, you have so much time in front of you for compounding to do its thing. And I encourage you to take a long-term perspective for that reason. And if you need motivation, pull out a compound interest calculator and realize first and foremost that you must get out of debt. I think that Dave Ramsey refers to this as with gazelle-like intensity, you should be eliminating your debt. And the reason is because you can start the compounding process with your money, and your, at least as it pertains to my advice. In your 20s and your 30s, if you can start the compounding process, you'll get to witness more of the magic for a longer duration of time. So know that much 
of investing is boring. When you're young, just focus on getting your income up. Don't worry about your returns. Stop worrying about catching the right economic cycles and where to buy Amazon stock. None of that should matter to you. And once your income starts rising, where you want to focus is resisting the temptation to massively inflate your lifestyle like your buddies are starting to do. <laughs> um, you can do this by minimizing what the personal finance committee or committee community calls the, the big three, which is your housing expense, your transportation costs, and your food. I'll give you an example to help illustrate the value of saving and investing. Let's say by the time you're 40, you hit a $400,000 net worth number, which I'm using for illustration and alliteration purposes. Um, it's not unrealistic when you, when you understand the power of saving and investing and compounding and you live and work in America. But let's say your money grows 10% a year or in a year, which happens quite a bit. I think the stock market has averaged that over the last 80 years. Well, then your assets have grown. It's over 7 or 8%, something like that. Well, then your assets have grown, if you start with 400000 have grown to 440000 right? 10% on your money. Well, what that means is that your money has just made the equivalent of another human in your family going to work for making $40,000 $40, a year. And you get to enjoy that advantage just by having accumulated money early. But it takes a lot of discipline, and you've got to get super aggressive with your savings because these numbers get really ridiculous when you get up to, say, a million I mean, if you have a million-dollar net worth, your assets grow 10%. That's $100,000 that you didn't have to work for. So the beauty of the, the FIRE movement is that guys quit working for the man and then know that if they just get a 7% return, their net worth will double every 10 years. And that's without even contributing to that nest egg. So you can get to if you can get to 400000 by 40 you should have 800,000 by 50. So 400 by 40, I think is a worthy goal. It's got a nice ring to it. One of my goals by 40 is to be fluent in Spanish. <laughs> so fluent by 40, it's also got some nice alliteration. And by the way, I've been doing this kind of thing <laughs> for forever. Um, I have goals in my journal from December 31st, 2004, that say five by 25, when <laughs> in parentheses, I, I wanted to close five sizable deals by age 25. <laughs> So that's how I motivate myself, give myself incentive. Um, but I hope that motivates you to save and invest more of your money, perhaps instead of spending it on stuff, on stupid stuff to try to impress people. I'm going to say something that probably will sound trite, but I think we could all use a refresher, myself included. And that is the fact that time is more valuable than money. You can always get more money, but you cannot get more time. When our last day on earth comes, you would give every dollar that you have just to get another week. There are a couple of guys that I talk about on the blog quite a bit, and that's Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett. Those guys are in their 90s, and they're worth billions of dollars. But if given the opportunity, those guys would trade places with you because you have decades in front of you to enjoy this beautiful world and build things and spend time with people you love. You know, they don't have that much time left. So something tragic happens and we say, wow, that really puts things into perspective. Well, what if we were to gain that perspective right now? There's an old stoic tenet that says, think of yourself as dead. You have lived your life. Now take what's left of it and live it properly. And I love that. It's powerful when you realize that our time is limited and that we can learn to, to make better use of our time. 
most people spend most of their lives avoiding the thought of death. But I think that's a mistake. I think that the inevitability of death should always be running in the back of your mind, if not pushed to the front. Because understanding the brevity of life fills you with a sense of purpose and mission, and you'll start to attack life with a sense of urgency. And when you accept this reality that we all share the same fate, it just makes it a little easier to deal with setbacks and failures that we all face. And keeping in mind, too, that our existence is brief, <laughs> you know, just having knowing that and realizing it and acknowledging it on a regular basis will give you a sense of proportion. So if you're not doing it already, meditate on mortality a little bit. See if it doesn't intensify your experience and make life come alive a little bit more. You know, something I tweeted about recently was that if someone stopped you in the street and asked you for $10, you probably wouldn't give it to them. But if that person were to stop and just start yapping about nothing, you're much more likely to give them 10 minutes of your time. And here I would quote the great Stoic Seneca, who said, people are frugal in guarding their personal property, but as soon as it comes to squandering time, they are most wasteful in the one thing in which it is right to be stingy. That's Seneca. Cool to see how Seneca's words have withstood the test of time, isn't it? That was written 2,000 years ago. A lot of times it's toxic people that rob us of time, and we just underestimate how susceptible we are to their moods and their influence, and so that diminishes our happiness. But the best way to protect yourself from that is to get better at saying no, so that you can free up your time to do things that you enjoy. And hopefully that's learning a new skill or taking up a new form of exercise or learning a new language. You know, when you learn a new skill or whatever challenge you choose for yourself, you tend to become happier through the struggle. As I like to say, nobody leaves the gym pissed off. <laughs> um, so I find something challenging to do if you don't have something. If learning and growing makes you happy, then you're in the double bonus. <laughs> That's a basketball term when you get two free throws. But this is something I've written about um, my one of my happiness posts, my blog posts on happiness. I said that if you agree to do something that you're not going to enjoy, you're going to be miserable and you're going to resent the person that you agreed to do it with, especially if it's a person of questionable character. Their toxicity is bound to rub off on you eventually. So never underestimate your susceptibility to those of whom you spend the most time. We got to be careful about how we choose to spend our time. You know, when somebody asks you to do something two weeks away and you agree to do to it, <laughs> to do to it, the morning of the day that you've agreed to do that thing, you wish that you hadn't committed a lot of times, right? Because you just don't have the same energy on that day that you had when you agreed to do the thing two weeks ago. But that happens to all of us. So we've got to be careful in how we allocate our time. We have to give it careful consideration. We have to replay the tape, so to speak. Learn yourself better this time around so that you don't overcommit yourself. But hey, don't be too hard on yourself because we're all learning this stuff. Um, you're going you're going to make errors in judgment and you're going to waste time with undeserving people. But we're all trying to get better. I know that because you wouldn't be listening to this audio if not. Also on that, I would just say that give yourself permission to stop trying to do it all. Stop saying yes and start saying no a little more. You know, every yes that you say is a no to something else. But these are ideas. I don't have all the answers. I'll, I'll tell you where my struggle is, is if like I'm a pretty even kill guy, but when somebody wastes my time, depending on the context, of course, or 
depending on how inconsiderate they are in wasting it, it gets to me a little. So steal $20 from me, but don't steal 20 minutes of my time. When I was a kid, I remember hearing adults talk about, like adults in my family talk about people with money in a derogatory way. And now that I'm an adult, I realize that oftentimes wealthy people aren't the a-holes that they're made out to be. Um, it's just that they figured out how to maximize time, and that's through years of cutting and condensing and observing themselves and reflecting on how they spent their time in the past, where they went wrong, and then self-correcting. And that's a huge component of how they got wealthy. And so someone who doesn't value that wealthy person's time, or I should say somebody who doesn't value their own time, much less that wealthy person's, you know, they come along and try to waste that wealthy person's time, not adding any value, and that's not something that they're going to take lightly. So switching back to me, you know, when I was dating, it was easy to tell whether a woman was interested in me or not by whether she valued my time. So you may have heard of the Brad Pitt test. Well, since my name is Brad, it was easy to apply the Brad Pitt test, right? I just switch up the last name, <laughs> which just means that if you ask a woman out and she declines for whatever reason, you simply ask yourself, if you were Brad Pitt, would she have given the same reason or would she have declined at all? And if the answer is no, then what's the difference? <laughs> um, I know I have a lot of single guys listening, so guys, this is directed at you. I will save you a lot of time and effort. If she were interested in you, she would move whatever is on her schedule. And if not, then she would suggest another day and time. It is rare that a woman will tell you flat out that she is not interested. She will generally offer friendship instead. If she does that, say thank you and move on because time is too valuable. If you want more information on that, you can read a blog post that I wrote called How to Avoid the Friend Zone. <laughs> it's quite popular, at least judging by the number of messages that I get. That's probably... Probably the one, other than the Bigger bigger Pockets episode, the one that I get the, the most questions about. By the way, you can apply the Brad Pitt test to friends also. So it doesn't have to be Brad Pitt. Just insert any celebrity into that name, and it works the same way. You want people in your life who value you. And the sooner you figure out who those people are, the better off you'll be. If they decline and don't suggest an alternative, then a lot of in a lot of cases... That lets you know whether spending time with you is a priority. And maybe you give them some, some leeway if, you know, depending on how long you've been friends. But don't give them too much leeway. <laughs> uh, you've got to cut people so that you can focus on who and what is essential. There isn't enough time in this life to try to please everybody or try to maintain a thousand friendships. Because I see a stat, it's consistent every time I see this stat. And what it says is that you can keep up with about 150 people socially, max 150 people. This mindset that I have regarding time or the value of time is deeply ingrained. So being entrepreneurial minded, it, what that means is that you're constantly qual qualifying deals, you're thinking probabilistically, and you want to get to a yes or no as fast as possible so that you can move on and not waste time in what I would call maybe land. <laughs> so yeah, you're constantly qualifying and disqualifying disqualifying deals and people so as to make the highest and best use of time. So what do I look for? I'm looking for where there are mutually beneficial deals. Where where are the win-wins? Where is what I offer valuable? That's what I'm after. Yeses and nos are good. Maybes are bad. <laughs> um, but it's very common for people to value their own time a thousand X to what they value yours. 
sometimes it's not even a thousand to one, it's a thousand to zero. <laughs> so what I want you to know is even if someone says to you, I'm busy, what that means is that you're not a priority and you should, you should be okay with that because we all have priorities. Just don't let people string you along. Use the Brad Pitt test. Uh, but some of you will have to emotionally equip yourself to handle those you have to let go. But what you're left with is what the kids would call your ride or dies, <laughs> right? Your day ones. I see that on Instagram quite a bit, your day ones. And that just means people who value you and have stuck with you. Um, if someone tries to exploit your time or string you along, your conviction should be such that you don't have time for that. What you're looking for in friends, in mates, in dates is compatibility. Do you enjoy spending time with each other? Do you both bring value to the relationship? Do you have shared values, which is probably most important? Because we not only date to pursue relationships or marriage, we're quasi-dating to make friends. And the best way to make friends is to think of the other person first, express sincere interest and appreciation for their time and for their uniqueness, because everybody wants to feel important. Every interaction that you have in life, every text that you send is going to leave the other person feeling a certain way. And it's incumbent on us to make sure that they leave feeling good, right, if we value them. So these are all things that you've got to figure out when you're young so that you can better make use of your time. Because I can't think of a worse use of time than chasing people who genuinely aren't interested in spending time with you. And that's for dates, that's for friends, that's for jobs. You know, since time is our most precious resource, if you get better at judging character, you will save yourself all kinds of time. And then you can spend that time with people who enjoy your company and you enjoy theirs. And that time is not just spent, it's invested because relationships compound the same way money does. And in those relationships, you know, you can look at allocating your time in the same way that wealthy people look at allocating money. And you, you probably should. Uh, but once you save time by cutting someone or cutting a bad habit, you can then invest that time elsewhere to make ourselves more valuable to a future friend or employer or a date or a marriage prospect that maybe you haven't even met yet. <laughs> um, but it's hard to do. I mean, it takes tremendous discipline to have a vision for something that hasn't even occurred in your life yet. Um, and then sometimes I should say too that we enjoy mindless entertainment and that's okay too. I mean, we need to rest and refresh. So you can read a novel or you can watch a game or watch Netflix. I mean, we all need that. It's the reason we take vacations. Does anybody use the Chrome browse the Chrome browser extension called Motivation? It's really cool. I started using it a couple of months ago and it tracks your age sort of like the national debt clock. It's always running. So I always know exactly how old I am because I have this browser extension on my PC. So somebody said to me the other day, I think we're the same age. And I said, well, I'm 38.599. <laughs> yeah. So for me, it just reinforces that the clock is ticking, which it is doing now. But hey, let's do big things together. I don't have anything else for you today. I really appreciate you listening. I do not take it lightly that you've chosen to spend your time with me. I realize that you could be doing anything in the world. So thank you. It means a lot to me. Please subscribe to the blog if you're not already. Also, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at man underscore overseas. Thank you, folks.